El Fanboy, episode 52. Hi everybody, Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you, and this is the 52nd edition of the El Fanboy Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Um, you know, it's it, it's been another uh, amazing week here at Revenge of the Fans and in my life personally. Uh, the response to last week's episode has been somewhat overwhelming, which is kind of crazy to me because, you know, it's something I, I mentioned on uh, the Twitter shortly after I put it up, was that like whenever I kind of take a risk, whenever I kind of go to a place that I didn't really expect to go, I always secretly think, okay, this is it. This, this is going to be the episode that ends the awesome run I've been on. This is where all of the goodwill people have for me just disappears. This is where people roll their eyes and turn away from me forever, and I just kind of disappear into obscurity. Um, and yet, oddly enough, a lot of times it's those episodes that I feel that way about that get people even more engaged somehow. So I, I, I don't get it, but I'm going to choose to not question it and just kind of go with it. I assume I'm always I always expect for the other shoe to drop at any given moment. You know, I'm, I'm someone who's sort of trained to like not rely on everything staying good for all that long. So right now, I'm in the middle of a great run here. I would say over the course of the last four or five months have been some of the best in my online uh, punditry career or whatever it is you want to call this, my reporting, my podcasting, my writing. You know, this has been, I'm at peak form right now in terms of how well everything's being received and, and the amazing feedback I'm getting, but I'm still waiting for, for, for things to take a dark turn. But either way, if you listened to last week's episode, if you're a new listener, uh, welcome aboard. I'm really thrilled to have you here. Um, you know, last week's episode was the highest, the, the highest downloaded episode of this show that didn't in involve a guest, which is big because usually, you know, my solo podcasts kind of have their certain average download numbers that I'm used to seeing certain figures that I've just grown accustomed to. And then when I have guests, depending on those guests followings, I don't know if any of that made sense in terms of my tenses, so bear with me. But usually when I have a guest on, you know, that's when things kind of spike uh, upward. That, that's where things kind of shoot up. Last week was just me and this very same microphone I'm speaking to now, speaking to you from the heart, and the response and the numbers were amazing. So thank you again. Um, so here we are. Here we are. It's episode 52. We got plenty of ground to cover. Uh, first, I want to just mention that I, uh, I was invited onto two different podcasts that arrived uh, this week or are about to arrive. One of them is, I believe. Um, so check them out if you're interested. One is the Multiverse Musings, a DC Comics podcast, which is co-hosted by Adam Basciano, who's actually one of the critics on RevengeOfTheFans.com. He handles uh, comic book reviews as well as weekly Black Lightning reviews, the CW show. So I was on his show, him and Jordan. We had a very nice spirited conversation about Batman. It's funny, everyone's talking to me about Batman lately. Because then uh, I was invited onto Shanley Ann on Batman, or maybe it's pronounced Shanley Ann on Batman. I have no idea. 
But Justin Shanlian, that's how I like to say it, uh, invited me onto his podcast, which was very happy. It was a very cool thing for me. I've been hearing about this show a lot lately, Shanlian on Batman. It seems to come up a lot. Um, so when Justin asked me to be on it, naturally I said, let's do it. So I recorded that last night, and it was kind of cool, honestly. It was cool to talk about Batman as a fan, as just like uh, Batman the character, what he's meant to me over the years. Because more often than not, when I speak to him, you know, speak about him on this show, or when I write about him on the site, it tends to be more on the, you know technical details. You know, I'm talking about who's going to direct the movie, who's going to star in it, what's going on with the script, what's the latest bochinche coming out from behind the scenes and the drama. I rarely get to just sort of talk about Batman and how awesome he is and when what I feel for that character. So, you know, I it was a cool opportunity last night to chat with, uh, with Justin and uh, his co-host Kyle uh, about Batman, you know, because it, it, it kind of made me jog my memory, you know, Batman was like for a while there since you know since Superman the the, the film franchise dried up in 1987 you know Batman kind of became like my staple cuz remember there weren't really there weren't comic book comic book movies at, you know, in the late 80s through the 90s up until, you know, uh, Blade came out. So, like, all throughout the 90s, Batman was the big game in town. And I kind of felt a, a, a kinship with the character because, coincidentally, all of the first, like, I want to say, let's see, the first five Batman movies ever all came out right around my birthday. My birthday is June 23rd, all right? And get this, Tim Burton's Batman in 1989 came out on... June 23rd, my sixth birthday. And everyone after that, you know, Batman Returns, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, even Batman Begins when Christopher Nolan came into the picture, they all released in mid-June. So for me, it, it kind of became like a birthday tradition where I'm going to go see Batman. For the first couple times, it was with my dad. Then as I got older, it was me going out with like a couple of friends and then the group got bigger and bigger. I still remember to this day, when, I, when Batman Begins came out and I was in college, uh, I had orchestrated a group of around 25 friends to come see it. And it was so, I, I spearheaded such a big, like, it was, it was such a colossal effort for this screening that, like, I got there, you know, this is before the days of reserved seating and all that sort of stuff. So I, I remember showing up to the theater almost like an hour early. I had a newspaper in my hand, and I was there pestering the the ushers to let me into the theater into the as soon as possible. I knew all my friends were going to be late or arrive, you know, just as the as the uh, trailer started to to air, and I wanted to make sure we all got seats together. So I brought the newspaper along with me so that I can pull page by page and put it onto each chair of a row. I, I we basically took up an entire row at the College Point Multiplex to see Batman Begins. And that was kind of like the pinnacle of me getting to see Batman around my birthday. And I had this huge group. And then coincidentally, after that, it all went to hell. You know, uh, you know. then uh, The Dark Knight came out in July and The Dark Knight Rises was also in July. Then the next Batman movie was Batman v Superman and they came out in March. So the whole June birthday tradition uh, withered and died. And, you know, that may, the, the, there's, a, there's that part of me that longs to see Batman be associated with my birthday again. Um, 
But yeah, you know, I've I've always loved good old Batsy. You know, I was introduced to him uh, via the Batman and Robin TV series from the '60s. They used to show reruns of that on uh, on television in the '80s, and that was kind of my first introduction. Introduction. Uh, then I had a whole bunch of Batman toys, and then Batman '89 came out, and I was like, whoa. Um, and then Batman the Animated Series followed that, and. You know, it's funny. He's one of those characters who, like, I love, but I don't relate to. You know, it's very different. Like, with Superman, my love runs, you know, far deeper because I can connect with Superman in some way. There's something about his intrinsic goodness and the, and also the, that bittersweet loneliness behind it that I sort of, I can relate to and I aspire to be. And I aspire to sort of model my life around, you know... Doesn't matter how alone you are. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life and the sacrifices you have to make. Be the best person you can be to those around you. So that's why Superman has always been kind of like a role model for me who I connect to on a personal level. Batman, I've never exactly like related to him, but I just think he's awesome. You know, for there it's more just pure like fanboy. God, he's cool. You know, I love the costumes, I love the gadgets, I love that whole mythology with the Batcave and Alfred and the Batmobile and the whole thing. So it's just one of those things where, you know, I may not be able to relate to him or think like him or understand where he's coming from, but I just think he's, you know, fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so anyway, it, it, it's been cool to talk Batman a lot this last week. Um, yeah, just to sort of follow up on, on the report from last week, you know... I'm starting to get like just a hunch, and this is not based on any new intel, really. Uh, you know, I've been having some like behind the scenes conversations with people, but um, you know, I don't know. It's I'm starting to get a, a bad feeling about this Reeves and DC Entertainment situation. Um, I I I I just kind of get the sense that he doesn't seem to be in any sort of rush to get this thing going. And not that he should be rushing, mind you. I, I'm fully in favor of, of letting this breathe, but it just seems like so not a priority for him right now. You know, he's constantly greenlighting new projects. He has this thing with Fox that just got greenlit that he's producing and Brad Payton is directing. He has the Netflix deal and they just announced their first movie over there. And, you know, I just kind of get the sense that Walter Hamada and DC Entertainment at some point are just going to, you know, put their foot down and say, either you get this going or, you know, we're going to have to, you know, end this thing. Um, and mind you, like, I, I'd i be totally fine if Reeves does leave. I, I'm not one of these people who thinks that this movie will live or die on, uh, on the basis of whether or not Matt Reeves is being involved. In fact, like I'm not even the biggest Reeves fan, truth be told. I listen, this is about to be a very unpopular opinion, but you know, it is what it is. Um I I've kind of found both of his Planet of the Apes movies to be somewhat overrated. I didn't really I mean, I, I enjoyed War for the Planet of the Apes and I enjoyed uh Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, but like I didn't love them and I and both times I walked away wondering like the hype just seemed a little um just a tad much. Just I, I don't really understand where all the you know all of this profusive effusive love for Reeves and those Apes movies comes from. Um, that said, yeah, you know, I think he's a very strong filmmaker. I have nothing against the guy, but it's one of those things where if he left, I really wouldn't be all that upset. 
But, you know, I do just have to say that, you know, since last week, I just kind of have this hunch, this gut feeling that something is over there is going to go south. Now, this is not a scoop. Don't, you know, don't anyone make headlines about this, please. Uh, it always amuses me when like little things I say or tweets I send out there where it's just kind of me thinking out loud suddenly become an, an article at a website. And I'm like, I'm just spitballing here. So don't, this is not a scoop. It's just a gut feeling that I have. Um, but, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about the DC slate because there have been some interesting updates and reports this week, you know, courtesy of, you know, that hashtag show, courtesy of Omega Underground. And by the way, I'm friends with all these guys. So I, uh, it's always, you know, I'm always happy to, to see what they're working on and, and, and to pass along their information. And Omega Underground in particular has become an invaluable resource for when it, things when it comes to production timelines. You know, they, they seem to have the market cornered on knowing when a film is going to enter production, where it's going to film, and all that kind of stuff. So if, if those kinds of logistical bits of news uh, interest you, then you should definitely be checking out Omega Underground. But um, yeah, so let's get into it. You know, the, the way the, the, the slate seems to be shaping up for those of you keeping track at home, is as follows. You know, right now we've got Aquaman coming this December. Next year in April, we've got Shazam, which is going to be the follow-up to Aquaman. Yeah, obviously not directly, but in terms of DCU films, you know, Shazam will follow up Aquaman in April of 2019, followed by Wonder Woman in November of 2019, which seems to get us through 2019, because uh, then next up would be Suicide Squad 2. That just seems to be the way it's going because the the reports are obviously Shazam is currently filming. There's all kinds of leaked photos and videos hitting the web. So that's actively a thing. Then Wonder Woman 2 is supposed to start filming this May. So that's why you know it's going to be the next film after Shazam. Then Suicide Squad 2 is supposedly slated to film this fall. So that means it's going to come out after Wonder Woman 2. And that means it's not arriving in 2019 you know there were some rumors that they might be able to try to get out sooner i even thought that they could but not if they're starting in, in october that's just cutting it way too close you know if you have to think about this realistically if they're going to start filming in october like the report suggests then they're not done until like january or february then they have all of post-production and you already have Wonder Woman 2 arriving at the end of 2019. So it's not like they could try to sneak it out by the end of 2019. Like the only way they could, they, the only way they could have pulled this off is if they somehow had it ready for like the June, July, August, like summer release. But that's pretty much impossible if they're not starting until the fall. So that means Suicide Squad 2 is going to arrive probably somewhere in early to mid 2020, which, you know, so if those of you who are dying for Suicide Squad 2 and to see Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn again, you know, it looks like you're going to have a bit of a wait ahead of you, which is unfortunate, but, you know, maybe it's all for the better. Um, and then after that, that's where everything gets really dodgy in terms of trying to figure out what's going on, because post-Suicide Squad 2, there are not one, not two, not three, but four different films that are on DC's uh, priority list. And actually, I should say, it's three that are on their priority list, but and one that's sort of in parentheses, depending on uh, a, a rumor that I'm going to cover in just a few seconds. Um, those movies are, in no particular order, The Flash Movie, a.k.a. Flashpoint, a.k.a. Could Be The Flash Again, I have a hunch, uh, The Batman, The Superman Sequel, 
And then the one that goes in the parentheses is that Green Lantern Corps. So those are the four movies. Um, and trying to figure out where they're going to land post-Suicide Squad 2 is tough. Because, you know, right now the Flash movie has, you know, it's, it has directors seemingly. So that one is the most put together of these movies. Because uh, even though the Batman has a director... I, again, I'm not feeling any momentum there. So unless Reeves is going to suddenly surprise Warner Brothers and say, hey, look, here's this awesome script. I can start filming this, you know, later this year or early next year. You know, I kind of just get this sense that Batman is, 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 is a ways off. So of these films, Flashpoint is the most sort of put together with Daly and Goldstein seemingly getting to work right away on this Superman sequel. You know, they're still looking for a director. As I reported earlier this week, you know, Matthew Vaughn is still in talks, but they haven't even ironed a director yet. They haven't you know, nailed down a script that they're happy with yet. So that's another one that just feels like it's a bit far off. And then Green Lantern Corps. Let's talk about that for a sec, because that comes from that hashtag show. And, you know, they just had a scoop quasi-confirmed. You know, it's a quasi-scoop confirmed. Uh, mere moments ago, before I started recording to today's episode, News broke that Kristen Wiig is uh, indeed going to play Cheetah in Wonder Woman 2. And what's interesting about that is, you know, th that hashtag show is the one that sort of had the scoop on the fact that Cheetah was going to be the villain. You know, they, they published a report, you know, the chronology is, they published a report that Cheetah was going to be the villain. They mentioned that Emma Stone had actually passed on the role. And suddenly everyone was talking about Cheetah. Then like two days later... Variety's Justin Kroll tweeted that Kristen Wiig was in talks to play Cheetah. So Hashtag is the one who kind of brought Cheetah into the forefront. Variety is the one who followed up and said who, who looks like they're going to take, take the role. And then today, Patty Jenkins herself took to Twitter and confirmed that Kristen Wiig will be playing Cheetah. So in a way, she confirmed that Hashtag shows scoop and Justin Kroll's from Variety's scoop about this. So... That's what kind of makes it hard to gauge how to feel about this Green Lantern core rumor because it comes from that hashtag show and they seem to be on a bit of a, of a winning streak right now. But the thing is, it's hard for me to come on any information about Green Lantern core that I can take to the bank. You know, everything I've been hearing is either neutral or negative. You know, I've spoken to people who say, no, nah, I, you know, I haven't heard anything. Maybe yes, maybe no. And I've spoken to other people who say, yes, he once was in contention, but that went away. That went the way of the dodo. You know, they apparently had made an offer to him last fall and then that fell through. Um, but the thing is, like, even that doesn't really tell me much. Because if you look, you know, if, if history is, is anything... Yeah, you know, directors can sort of you know fluctuate in and out of these kinds of negotiations just because they you know they, they may initially walk away. If the studio comes back to them again with a better offer, all of a sudden here they are. You know, just ask Matthew Vaughn, who you know his name has popped up for Superman on and off for the last ten years. Um, so you know, and he's he's had moments where he's been like you know, quote unquote in talks, and then quote unquote gone, and then he pops back up again. Even Matt Reeves, he was in talks to direct Batman, then he walked, and then like two weeks later he was back. 
So just because Macquarie passed on it last fall doesn't mean that he might not be back in the running. You know, DC has a very funny sort of history with that, with 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 uh, with performers who kind of fluctuate in and out. Even if you like, if you think about what happened with uh, Henry Cavill, you know, Henry Cavill was someone who was being looked at to play Superman back when Superman Flyby was on the horizon, written by J.J. Abrams and directed by Mick G. And then, you know, Brandon Routh got the role and it became, you know, the whole thing morphed into Superman Returns and that was that. And then, boom, Henry Cavill popped back up onto everyone's radar you know, when it was time for Zack Snyder to take over and, and, re and reboot things with Man of Steel. Then there was also some stuff, you know, where like Army Hammer keeps, he's perpetually someone who is rumored to be involved with DC in some way, shape, or form. And remember, he was once going to be Batman in Justice League Mortal, directed by George Miller. And then, you know, that project fell apart. But then what happened? You know, um, in, in late 2016, suddenly it started looking like he might pop up, possibly as Nightwing or possibly as Hal Jordan. But he's someone who I'm still fairly confident. At some point, we're going to see Army Hammer in the DCU. So, you know, Warner Brothers has a has a tendency to sort of keep their um, their call list somewhat repetitive and somewhat limited to like, you know, we you may not get the part now, but you're you know, you're going to you're going to at some point get involved with all this. So this is all to say that just because Macquarie passed on it last fall, that doesn't mean to me that it's over. And if that hashtag show feels like it's an active negotiation that's happening right now. You know, a part of me wants to believe them. You know, the, like I said, they just had this thing with Cheetah. They broke that story. And now we know who's playing Cheetah. So, you know, it's still one of those things where, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I can't validate the scoop. I can't debunk their scoop. But according to them, Green Lantern Corps is supposed to come out at some point in 2020. You know, they released a, uh, a synopsis that looks very much kind of like what we'd heard before, a very sort of lethal weapon-ish sounding scenario with an older Hal Jordan and a younger Jon Stewart. And it's like a buddy cop sort of situation where the veteran has to teach the new guy the ropes. Um, so a lot of it sounds pretty awesome, and I would love to see it. But then you know, the other part of me, I hate to keep going back and forth here, then there's the other part of me that feels like, I don't think we're going to get Green Lantern Corps that soon. I think 2020 is very optimistic because I'm not, you know, I, I, I honestly think you can't do a Green Lantern Corps with a reasonable budget. You know, it, it's the kind of story, especially if it's the Green Lantern Corps that they want to tell. You know, if, if this was just like a standalone Green Lantern and it's only focusing on Jon Stewart and it's here on Earth and he's dealing with a threat here on Earth, then I could see it being, you know, you could handle this on 150, 175 mil. But if we're talking about the Green Lantern Corps, where we're going to have a lot of stuff out in outer space, a lot of very heavy, you know, CG work that's going to be required, a lot of, you know, interdimensionally cosmic intergalactic aliens and villains and crazy costumes and CG. You know, that's a movie that demands a budget north of $200 million. And yes, I know that Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, they were able to make those on the cheap, but I, I don't think that those are the best gauge. I really don't. Um... And, you know, and feel free to fight me about that on Twitter. But I just feel like a Green Lantern core movie is inherently expensive. And I just don't see Warner Brothers want you racing to make another pricey movie about a character that already flopped a few years ago. 
You know, I just I just don't see that happening. But again, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm going all over the place with Green Lantern Corps. I guess I, I, I want to move away from it. Let's see. How do I sum this up? If you're a Green Lantern fan, uh, just kind of wait and see. That's all I can really say. I can't give you good news. I can't give you bad news. It's just we'll have to see. I you know that that that's kind of it. But here's how I would love to see 2020 play out. Okay, since that's you know that's where the things kind of become a big question mark. So I would love to see Suicide Squad two arrive in like February March ish. Then I would love to see the Flash slash Flashpoint movie arrive in the summer. And then for Christmas, give me Superman 2. You know, give me Man of Steel 2, whatever, the untitled Superman sequel, whatever we want to call it. You know, it's not going to be called Man of Steel 2. But just as a Christmas gift to me, Warner Brothers, can you please give me the biggest Superman fan in the world a Superman movie to watch around the holidays? Because that would be amazing for me. Um and look, I know that if that's how 2020 were to shape up in my ideal world, you know, that would leave a certain character hanging in the lurch. That would leave the Batman just hanging out there. Uh, you know, it means we wouldn't see him until 2021. But honestly, I'm kind of cool with waiting for Batman. You know, some people have tweeted at me, you know, the, it, that it's true that we, we've had a lot of Batman going on for these last 10 years. You know, it's it, it might be nice to kind of let him take a breather, especially with everything that's going on with Matt Reeves and the effect that he might get recast. You know, I feel like the pop culture zeitgeist, the, the, the collective hive mind that we have could use a little bit of a break from Batman. You know, maybe that's an unpopular opinion. I honestly don't know. But what I would like, and I know, you know, three years, uh, a three year wait sounds intense and maybe some of you are up in arms about that. But personally, I'd be perfectly happy getting the Batman in June of 2021. You know, back in his old release window, right around my 38th birthday. Oh my God, 38. I'll be 38 in 2021. I'm getting old, folks. I am getting, I'm getting, as, um, as Murtaugh would say in Lethal Weapon, uh, I'm getting too old for this shit. But anyway, okay, so that's kind of how I would like to see the slate shape up. Feel free to let me know on uh, on the Twitter, uh, you know, what, what you think of my projected slate or how I would like to see it play out. Let me know if I'm on crack. Let me know if you agree. Let me know if you disagree. I'd love to hash it out with you. Um, now we're going to change gears a little bit. You know, there's a big movie opening this week that doesn't feel like a big movie to me. And I've been, you know, if you've been listening to my other show, The Revengers Podcast, you'll know that I've been sort of like scratching my head about a wrinkle in time for the last few weeks. And everything I'm seeing now validates that hunch. So that goes to show you folks, my hunches tend to mean something sometimes. So you know, I, for whatever reason, they're worth paying attention to. But, you know, about a month ago, when Black Panther was coming out and everyone was all excited about that, the big word on the street, the big running theory was Black Panther will dominate the world until A Wrinkle in Time comes out. You know, A Wrinkle in Time is this big Disney blockbuster. It's a family film. It's directed by Ava DuVernay, who has all this buzz around her after Selma and the, uh, uh, what is that one? The, the 13th Man. I don't know. She had like a documentary that was very powerful stuff that a lot of people were very into. So the, the going theory was with this, you know, the, this, this nicely big budgeted, 
you know, family fairy tale brought to life. You know, this could be like another Beauty and the Beast type scenario. But I just wasn't feeling it. And now here we are. Today is when the movie officially premieres and all the buzz on it is meh. All right. So here, here we go. The reviews are very hit or miss. You know, they're in that 43% percentile on Rotten Tomatoes. So in other words, they're right in that take it or leave it category I always discuss, where they're near 50%. So nearly half the people liked it, nearly half the people didn't. And it's just kind of a take it or leave it scenario. Now, even the box office analysts are projecting something. It looks like it's going to be like a neck and neck tie between Black Panther and A Wrinkle in Time. And I'm telling you right now, my prediction, my projection is that Black Panther retains the top spot and A Wrinkle in Time gets a little egg on its face and lands in second. Uh, mind you, these are both Disney productions. So, you know, that studio will win no matter which one of these two films wins, which is crazy to think about, by the way, that, you know, they're opening uh, this movie against their other big movie. But, you know, when you're Disney and you have this many properties, I guess you could just do that and laugh your way to the bank. But right now, you know, industry analysts have Black Panther pulling in roughly 38% here in what I believe is going to be its fourth frame. Okay. A Wrinkle in Time, on the other hand, is expecting $35 million. So right now, it is very much projected that Black Panther is going to take the weekend. You know, and there are other people out there who are holding out hope that there's going to be some groundswell of surprise audience members for A Wrinkle in Time, uh, you know, due to the fact that it's based on a, on, a, on a treasured book and it has this great A-list cast and all this sort of stuff. But I'm telling you, I've been smelling a rat here for a while. And the fact that Disney has not been like beating the drum for a wrinkle in time for this past few weeks to me says a lot. You, know, you, you, you learn an awful lot about how a studio views a project based on how well they promote it. And a wrinkle in time, I'm, I'm just I'm not hearing about it. I haven't been hearing about it. I haven't been feeling the buzz. I haven't been getting that. Usually when a big Disney movie is coming out, it's almost like you can tell there's a tidal wave coming on the horizon. You know, even if you're not interested in it, like I, I couldn't give a damn about Beauty and the Beast last year, but I'm like, oh no, this thing is coming and it's going to be all I hear about for a while. Uh, Wrinkle in Time has none of that. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um... And now, here's what's interesting. There's another film that's rumored to be opening around $35 million, and this one sticks to my ribs. This one makes me very worried if this proves to be true, and that is Warner Brothers' Ready Player One, the Steven Spielberg film based on the Ernest Cline novel, which I recently read. Um, you know, if this thing flops... If this thing, because it looks like it was, I, I don't know what the budget is, um, but it looks pretty expensive. You know what? While I'm here, I'm not going to pause. I'm not going to do any any fancy editing on this. I'm going to look up Ready Player One right now. Let's see. Have they announced a budget? No, they haven't announced a budget. But this thing just looks very, very expensive based on the trailers, based on the amount of CG required to tell this story. You know, um... If this thing is a dud, it's going to hurt me. It's going to hurt me because I think Ready Player One is a very important story to tell. 
I think it's, how do I put this? Um, it, it depicts a world that I'm, I don't think we're that far from. It depicts a world where everyone has sort of willingly put themselves into a living coma. You know, via, listen, the world around me is crumbling, but it's so much easier to just slap on these, you know, these VR visors and just kind of disappear to another place rather than dealing with what's around me. And, you know, are we really that far away from that now? You know, I was talking about this with my cousin like a couple days ago. It is way too easy nowadays to just unplug and disconnect from humanity and to basically willingly, happily, blissfully put yourself into a living coma. Be it burying your nose in your smartphone, be it listening to things constantly, podcasts, songs, uh, sitting on the, t- uh, on the couch and binging all te- you know, the television on Netflix and Amazon and all the myriad of entertainment options out there, or getting lost in silly Twitter debates or petty feuds or whatever. It's becoming way too easy to just disconnect from reality, from what's really happening. And I see us as a, as a society, as a, as a species, we're, we're moving dangerously away from interacting with our fellow man. You know, in every possible conceivable way, we are, you know, people are actively cutting themselves off from any scenario where they would actually have to, you know, interact with a flesh and blood human being. You know, you, 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 can, kinda, you can go days now without ever speaking to anyone. You know, you do all of your communication via social media or text messages. You don't have to go to a store to buy anything. You could have it all delivered to you. If you want entertainment, then take your pick, your phone, your laptop, your TV, your, your tablet, just have at it. Even, you know, I, I even see it in the way that people want to start consuming movies. You know, there's this whole movement now, and it breaks my heart. There, there's a whole movement now to move away from going to theaters to see movies, you know, because everyone says, oh, why should I go to a theater? It's overpriced. And what if someone has their phone out? Or what if someone brings a baby to the theater? Well, then you know what? It just means you have to interact with a fucking person. It's okay. It's okay to make yourself part of a community, even if you want to kill certain members of that community. It's important to get out there and interact with people and deal with conflict and deal with joy and try to relate to see how those around you are dealing with things and adapting with things. And I, it, it breaks my heart the way that we're all just kind of moving into our own little cocoons. And that's something that Ready Player One really sort of, you know, brings to life. And it doesn't do it in like a preachy, didactic way. You know, it's, it's one of these things where like that is maybe 5% of the story. The, the other 95% is just this great rollicking sci-fi adventure filled with you know, video game characters and movie references. And it's, it's amazing. It's kind of like, you know, uh, to kind of quote Mary Poppins, which is, you know, popular nowadays because the sequel's coming out. You know, it's like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And honestly, the ratio in the Ready Player One book, you know, it's like 5% medicine, 95% just awesomeness. Because it really, you know, it just presents this, the, the scenarios of this world as a given. The, these are the rules of this universe. This is what Earth has become. Just accept this 
And now let's see how our hero, Wade Watts, navigates through this society and what he learns along the way. So it doesn't try to hit you over the head with this, hey, you need to like unplug, disconnect, get off Facebook, get off Twitter and go like deal with people and try to fix the world around you rather than escaping all the time. It doesn't hit your, it really doesn't hit you over the head with that. But it also does end up making a beautiful point about the intrinsic value of connecting to those around you and the importance of human connection and dealing with conflict and dealing with love and dealing with fear and just being yourself. Because Ready Player One, the whole thing is almost like a metaphor for the way we treat social media. If you look at the version of yourself that you put out there on Twitter and you put out there on Facebook and you put out there on Snapchat or whatever the fuck you're doing, it's usually an idealized version of yourself. It's the version of yourself that you are all too comfortable to share with others. It's, it's almost like a fictional version of you. It's how you perceive yourself. It's how you want to be perceived. But it's not really the warts and all you. It's not you in your truest form. And in the past, you know, you, the people around you would still, you know, would see that your facade could only go for so long because inevitably when you go to work, inevitably when you go out on dates, inevitably when you, you go out to gatherings with your friends, the real you comes out. And that's where you have to learn about yourself. That's where you learn how to relate to other people. That's where you learn that that's what it means to be just a human just to just be present and connected and to learn and to be engaged and to live life to its fullest is to do those things. But nowadays, since everything's anonymous, you're just a person on your phone saying things with a screen name and a, and a profile picture that you think makes you look funny or cool or interesting, and you're not really being real anymore. And Ready Player One is, is, is a perfect sort of analogy for that because in this not-too-distant future, you know, it's all about your perception of yourself. You get to create this avatar. You get to create, you give yourself all these abilities and make all these references that make people feel a certain way about you. And it really is like a perfect allegory for the direction we are heading in. And, you know, personally for me, like the, the book really hits a personal chord too because... You know, just to be brutally honest with you, you know, three years ago, I almost lost everything I love because of my desire to live in a, in, in a, in a waking coma. You know, three years ago, I had slipped into some sort of funk. I, I, I was on the other side of 30. I was examining my life. It really didn't, ha it, at, at that point in time, it hadn't really panned out the way I thought it would. And I had all kinds of issues and, and, and petty grievances and grudges and depression knocking on my door at every given moment. And the way I coped with it was by escaping into the oasis. And in real life, you know, the, the oasis, by the way, is what they call, you know, the, uh, this alternate world in Ready Player One. But in my real world trappings, the oasis was burying my face inside of my smartphone constantly. I'm just going to scroll Facebook for three hours and get into stupid arguments that don't matter and share silly things that don't really represent me, but I think will make me look cool. And then when I wasn't on my phone, I was on the couch with an Xbox controller in my hands playing you know, Grand Theft Auto V uh, online mode, living like a second life there. And then jumping straight into binging a show and staying up until three in the morning. And what I started noticing was I was losing touch with my wife. I was losing touch with my two kids. 
I was losing touch with everything. And I almost lost it because I took it all for granted. You know, if we're going to get down to brass taxes here, you know, I almost ended up alone three years ago. Everything that mattered the most to me, which is my family, was almost taken away from me because my wife didn't want to be with someone who was just not really there, physically there, but not mentally there. And I had to learn you know, through that, through that pain, through that anguish, I had to learn how to deal with things in a way where I had to be present. I have to speak to my partners. I have to be here and deal with life because numbing it with entertainment, numbing it with mindless things that don't really fucking matter gets me nowhere. So I had to learn this valuable lesson the hard way. It gutted me. I had to remake myself as a person. I had to rethink all of my coping mechanisms. I had to go through all the different ways I would handle things as a lonely kid. I had to figure out how do, how do I overcome that baggage rather than allow it to drag me down into the pits. And that's something that Ready Player One really, to me, is emblematic of. Its story is about the importance of detaching and, you know, and disconnecting from all of that stuff and actually being present. Take the, take the visors off, put the devices away and interact with those around you because as scary as it can be, that's life. That's where you feel love. That's where you feel hurt. That's where you feel true joy. That's where you feel crippling fear. But that's, how, that, that's where living is done. You know, right now, the way we're, we're heading down a path where we're never truly happy and we're never truly sad. Because as soon as you're sad about something, rather than sit there and think about why you're sad and think about how we can avoid this from happening again, you just pull out a device, you pull out some headphones, you put a controller in your hand, and now you numb that pain. So you're not really truly sad and you're not really truly learning anything from that experience. And even when you're happy, a lot of people, you know, you're happy and then you just go on Facebook and you post about this happy thing and now you've blurted it out. It's no longer something special like you're thinking about in your heart and savoring for a future date and trying to remember. It's something now you just gave for other people to like and comment and now you've almost detached yourself from the happy thing. So I just tend to feel like, you know, we are moving dangerously towards this area where we're disconnecting from everyone, where we're too reliant on our devices and on our TV shows and on our anonymous online lives. And that's why for me, I want Ready Player One to succeed. And I'm hoping and praying that Steven Spielberg made a film that lives up to the book. Because if it does, then this thing deserves to be seen. This is a very critical and important time in our society and in, in, in our development as a species for this kind of story to be told. Because people, we gotta we gotta disconnect once in a while. We gotta you know delete the Twitter apps and the Instagrams, put the phone away, and deal with the world around you. Because even when it sucks, it's still beautiful. Because when things are bad, that's when you find out who you are. That's when you find out what you're made of, what it's going to take for you to pull yourself up. Like Alfred says in Batman Begins to Bruce, you know, why do we fall down so that we could learn to pick ourselves up again? And you're never going to figure that out 
if all you're ever doing is numbing yourself and not letting yourself have full experiences and not just being present and being where your feet are. And I learned all of this three years ago and I had to gut myself out. It was some of the hardest work I've ever done in my life. I had to put a whole magnifying lens on me, on my brain, on my heart. I had to scoop myself out and rebuild myself. And you know what? I am the happiest I've ever been now. And my marriage is the strongest it's ever been. And right now, my wife is going to walk through that door any minute now. We're going to head down to my daughter's school because she's student of the week. And we're having a little celebration in her classroom. And we're getting my son, Sebastian, from nursery school. And he's going to be there too. And life, I, I, was, able, I was able to get back up. Life knocked me out. It flattened me like a, like, a, like a Mack truck three years ago. And I got out of it. And I got out of it by disconnecting from the Oasis. So just remember that. Because we all love these movies. We love these characters. We love these video games and, and superhero shared universes and all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, that is entertainment. And that is just an escape. Please try to be good to each other out there. Take care of yourself and be present because I can tell you from experience that being present saved my life. And until next week, adios. <laughs>